the roadmap and the prospects for EVs is fantastic from a consumer viewpoint, but from a stock market perspective, it is a big threat. Yeah. And even I think existing players also, there are existing EV players. Like if you ask me, would you invest in an EV company, unlisted mm. or listed? I'd still think twice. Hi guys, welcome to the 11th episode of the Indian Market Story. We're joined by our returning guest, Mr. Deepan Mehta, and we're here to talk about a really interesting topic, the two-wheeler industry. Um, this industry has gone through a lot of ups and downs over the last couple of years, but it's a really strong indicator of consumer demand and uh, a really interesting play to have in your portfolio, particularly considering the EV revolution going forward. Particularly when India is the fastest growing major economy. Uh, existing players are never the disruptor. They've underperformed the Nifty over a very large time frame. Yeah. That's the real issue of two-wheeler companies. Now, before we start talking about the EV revolution in two-wheeler stocks, I need to emphasize more than enough that there's an EV disruption taking place. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation and hopefully there's some unique insight to decide whether or not you want to buy a two-wheeler stock or not. So welcome to the podcast and um, what are your thoughts on EV stocks? Where is the industry headed? Where are these stocks headed? Yeah, well, Lauren, thank you for inviting me on your podcast again. And uh, basically, two-wheeler stocks are at an interesting juncture. And there is a lot of uh, disruption taking place within the industry, which is why I think that uh, there's going to be turmoil. And we don't know who the winners are going to be, but this entire EV is going to take this two-wheeler industry by strong. Existing players have their strategies, but you know very well that the uh, existing players are never the disruptors. Mm -hmm. It's the new players who come in, who capture the market share, and the existing players are always you know, playing catch up. And I think something similar is happening over here. So, so really quickly, one thing I wanted to understand before we start talking about the EV revolution in two-wheeler stocks. So over the last five years, two-wheeler sales have, have stayed pretty much flat. You know, in, 20, uh, in 2018, they were about 29 million. In 2023, they're about 25 million. So if anything, they've fallen slightly. Exactly. So is the country falling out of love with two-wheelers? Is there not robust consumer demand? I mean, technological change aside, if there's no demand, then there's nothing to be done there. So what's going on here? See, I think after 2018-19, the two-wheeler industry has gone into a declining mode. And many reasons are attributed to it. One, of course, is uh, overall uh, subdued consumer demand. The fringe consumers have gone to the four-wheelers mm -hmm. because of cheaper uh, EMIs and more exciting models over there. Rural demand has been subdued for some reason or the other. Penetration levels have increased. So it's, today the industry is becoming a bit more mature than before. You have to consider that the base is huge. I mean, at uh, whatever, 18, 19 million in 23, FI23, I think the base has, has gone up significantly. And unfortunately for the two-wheel industry, there have been a lot of government regulations on mm -hmm. safety, on uh, pollution control, and on many other aspects, braking systems. And that has pushed up the cost of ownership of two-wheelers. That's also had an impact on the consumer demand. But, you know, it's a great industry uh, from India's perspective, given its demographic, and the way uh, urbanization is taking place. I think it's only a matter of time before, again, the volumes go up at least in line with the GDP growth rates. Yeah, so it seems like the stocks have stagnated as well in, in line with the stagnated sales. Um, but that's not the story across the board. But just quickly before we get to that, um, another interesting sort of aspect I'd like to discuss is the export potential of the two-wheeler industry. 
one uh, one figure in particular that I saw, uh, Bajaj Auto, almost 50% of their sales come through exports and most companies have 20 to 30% of their sales coming through exports. So how is it that the two-wheeler industry has also become almost an export powerhouse? What's driving that story? So I think when you are very strong in the domestic market, obviously you want to uh, capture the export markets as well. And these are not typically the developed markets of US, Europe, Japan, or even China for that matter. This is more the African countries, the Asian countries, which had a similar demographic, similar, uh, I would say, income levels. And there also demand for two-wheelers is good, but since we have the volume of scale, we have the models, they have done decent R&D within the space, it's an easy market to look at for companies. And Bajaj Auto's strategy has been very different from the rest of the two-wheeler companies. In fact, uh, when we get into each two-wheeler company, you will see their story and the nuances uh, which have made them successful. In Bajaj Auto, it was Rajiv Bajaj's uh, firm belief and, and vision that he wanted to make Bajaj Auto a global two-wheeler motorcycle player, not even two-wheeler, a global motorcycle player. And uh, to avoid all the vagaries and all the volatility in the domestic market, he pursued exports like very aggressively. Right. And that has really played out very well for them because mm -hmm. whenever there is a slight decline in demand in domestic market, the export market provides that kind of uh, volume growth for the company. And the, all their models have been designed that way, their production, their R&D, uh, the entire processes are set up in such a way that whenever they launch any new model, they think global. So without, you know, discussing macros any further, let's talk about Bajaj Auto in particular. So just, I mean, uh, just to maybe set the set the stage for the viewers, I'll, I'll share some numbers. So Bajaj Auto has uh, in the last year sold 3.4 million units. Uh, about 50% of them has gone to the export market. Um, their last five years, the revenue has grown at about 3.7% compounded and profit has grown about at a relatively similar rate. Um, and in the last five years, their stock has grown about 10.5% compounded and last 17 years, 8.7% compounded. And that's, I, I really, I, I point that out to say that um, they've underperformed the Nifty over a very large time frame, And I guess why? Because if if a stock's underperforming the Nifty over a 15-year time frame, that's maybe not the right stock to hold in your portfolio. So what's the story with Bajaj Auto? So Bajaj Auto was principally a scooter manufacturer. Then they decided they don't want to manufacture any more scooters. Chetak was the household brand. And you just can't beat a Bajaj or Hamara Bajaj was their tagline, still is. So from there, they converted themselves from a scooter company to a motorcycle company when they had competition from... Hero Honda, now Hero Motor Corp, and TVS Suzuki, which is now TVS Motor, or the in Suzuki, which was the earlier name. So when they had the competition coming in from the Japanese motorcycles, they, they also said they had to get into motorcycles themselves. And they vacated the scooter market, and motorcycles was what their focus area is. And then they decided they want to be completely global because they were facing intense competition from the, the new generation uh, Japanese manufacturers also, which had come. And that's what started their journey towards exports. And on the whole, I think it's a very well-managed company. They have got uh, superb products in place at every price point. But Rajiv Bajaj's thinking is, I want to push 125cc commuter bikes. They're more suited for the country. They're more powerful. And uh, on the whole, I think he thought that that's the, that's the product which the consumer would take. 
the drawback of course and which zero motor cop captured immensely was the fuel efficiency mm-hmm. i remember hero motor cop saying we give 80 liters 80 kilometers per liter mm-hmm. and bajaj and others were giving much significantly lower but on the whole i think uh, the 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 stock and the company has got decent potential because once you see an upcycle in the two wheeler industry mm-hmm. i think bajaj auto also will benefit from there but i need to emphasize more than enough that there's a ev disruption taking place within the scooter and the motorcycle space space and bajaj has its own strategy they relaunch chetak as a electric as scooter an EV brand, yeah <laughs> it's a fantastic yeah. thing we'll we'll come to bajaj's ev strategy in a second but i just want to stick on some other things really quickly so one another thing that sticks out to me is about again about 50% of their revenues and sales are export oriented and two two independent thoughts with that right first is um we we consistently talk about if you're in india investing in india you want to invest in companies that are domestically focused that that's the india story and uh, companies that are over diversified across markets don't capture the full potential of the india story particularly when india is the fastest growing major economy and the second independent thread that i want to maybe discuss is that all their exports go to latam africa and the asians and in the last year and and going forward as well for the next couple of years you would expect those currencies to depreciate as the dollar strengthens so their export story is maybe not the same as the export story of the it services powerhouses because they don't earn in dollars necessarily so i mean is this really a good strategy is is bajaj auto a good play in, and are there too many macro headwinds and global macro headwinds in particular for bajaj auto to flourish absolutely you hit the nail on the head and you could add geopolitical events also because a lot of these economies where they export to are quite unstable from that point of view government changes and uh, you know various events political events over there do impact uh, their uh, revenues from time to time and that's been other reasons why bajaj auto also has underperformed as you said you know that uh, uh, you know unlike uh, say uh, uh, Aisha Motors, which had a very specific uh, niche mm-hmm. positioning, or Hero Motor Corp, which just expanded and tried to get market share at any cost because of their commuter bikes and uh, low cost of operation. So each of the com- other competitors had a unique selling point and unique strategy as well. And Bajaj's strategy was to go for exports. And while that works for them, and in recent times the exports have you know prevented them from declining volumes in the Indian market. but you know it has its pros and cons and right now i think that company like bajaj auto can get disrupted can face a lot of uh, competition from electric two wheelers they of course have their own strategy but it is not i don't think that going forward it's going to be you know, very easy tidings for bajaj auto mm-hmm. let's come to the ev strategy in particular so we mentioned the chetak brand they're relaunching as an ev ev bike okay. um but one notable difference between bajaj and most of the other ev or rather two wheeler companies with their ev strategies is i haven't noticed any major partnerships or acquisitions that they've done to to bolster their ev r&d and it seems like they're investing in r&d centers and in base material science to try and build up their ev competency which could be good but on the flip side has a very long learning time and long learning curve so how how do you assess that ev strategy i think it's work in progress the ev strategy of all the existing players also is work in progress and as of now we both know that ola electric is the market leader in evs and we'll come to that as well so the fact is that an outside player non industry player who's born just a few years ago 
has taken leadership position over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a way, these companies are just kind of playing catch up, and we don't know. It could be Chetak tomorrow, it could be Bajaj or it could be anybody. But right now, we just don't know. I mean, what is going to happen as far as the EV uh, transition is concerned, and who will be the market leaders over there? Yeah, it's worth pointing out that Bajaj is only four percent of the market share for all the EVs sold in FY23. Yeah, that's right. Such a low market share. I mean, very very low. And EVs are very well positioned. EV bikes are very well positioned to disrupt the commuter bike. Maybe not the leisure bike. Maybe not the premium Absolutely. bike. Yes. So yes. my perception is with Bajaj Auto is that there's a lot of risk factors. You know, with their existing business, there's macro risk factors. With any future business, there's EV risk factors. Um, but yet, overall, you know, most analysts seem to consider them a hold. So do you want to provide some commentary on that? How do you feel about them as a stock? See, I think analysts are looking at the track record. They're looking at the quality of the management. And they're hoping that the overall two-wheeler sales also move up, which means that, you know, a rising tide will lift all boats. But I'm not in that camp. I think that from an investor's perspective, there are, as you said, I agree with you, many more risk factors with Bajaj Auto. And as we go along, I think there are better plays within the two-wheeler space, within the overall automobile space also. And when you have so many uncertainties, no, it's better for investors to avoid. I mean, we are not in the in the in the game of trying to find who the market leader is. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to buy the market leader after we know who, who it the is. The market leader is exactly. Yeah. So, and and one thing, Arun, before we go ahead, now, I want to just establish one very important fact that we are talking about the EV disruption and new players coming in the market, and existing players also going for EVs. But do keep in mind that the actual operating profit margin on an electric vehicle, two-wheeler or four-wheeler, is significantly lower than that for an internal combustion engine vehicle. Mm-hmm. And which means that when these existing players, whether two-wheeler, four-wheeler, when they're going for EV, if they suddenly become very big on the EV side, you will find that their profit margins have come down significantly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. while the, so there's a big risk factor, not only in terms Absolutely. of volume, but profit margins as well. Absolutely. And it's also worth pointing out because of the ownership life cycle of EVs, four-wheelers or two-wheelers, there's a lot less service cost through its life cycle. Exactly. So there's no after-sales service revenue. There's no parts revenue. There's nothing. It's the one-time sale and that's it. And there's very little margin in that one-time sale as well. Exactly. Because the biggest cost is the battery. Yep. And you're not manufacturing the battery from the absolute basic materials. Nope. Whereas the engines, a lot of them are manufactured from basic materials like steel, aluminium, copper. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, that's that's a really interesting note to point out. And that's something that I think our viewers really should keep in mind when assessing how good or how, you know, bad a company is with that EV strategy. In any case, let's move on to, I guess, uh, the next company you mentioned, Hero Motor Corp. Yeah. So, um Hero Hero Motor Corp, and I don't I don't really know the story behind this, but Hero Motor Corp was originally Hero Honda, but somewhere along the way that didn't really work out. So what's I mean, just out of curiosity, what's the story there? So Hero Honda was one of India's largest wealth creators, and uh, really it it, it Hero Motor Corp and Hero Honda started the entire I would say the two wheeler the motorcycle revolution in the country. They they got superb models, uh, low cost of ownership, very high. Fuel efficiency and the Honda uh, quality manufacturing systems. You know, I would say that uh, Hero Honda was like the Maruti Suzuki. You know, they, they they got all the benefits of a Japanese production distribution, all their systems which they incorporated and became really a market leader. It still is 48% market share in the motorcycle segment. 
and they were doing extremely well and superb year on year growth rates for hero honda as well but at some point of time there was some uh, kind of a difference of opinion between the two partners honda as well as hero and uh, honda at that time was not allowed to manufacture motorcycles in india they were doing only scooters and they wanted to do their own uh, motorcycles and from hero's perspective they wanted to capture the export market mm-hmm. they had seen the success of bajaj auto and they wanted to go for exports but honda would not allow them there were other factors also i don't remember exactly all the various events at point of time but then they decided to uh, split up the business and uh, honda sold off their stake to hero group and since then it is called as hero motor corp and from that point also i think hero motor corp has done well they have invested in r&d they've invested in design their new uh, products have been pretty well received they continued with their own strategies but as i said you know that penetration was deep and there was a intense competition from the other players as well mm-hmm. honda came in with their own motorcycle which again was a very big threat and mm-hmm. it uh, impacted the uh, volumes of all the players over there mm-hmm. see one thing you know to realize varun that the industry you now is very competitive yeah. with five players you know five major players all with deep pockets all with good product strategy r&d design distribution brand it's a intensely competitive market yeah and uh, that's something also which kind of makes me a bit more cautious of investing in two wheeler stocks also per se yeah so we need to keep that in mind and that's why i think hero motor corp has been impacted last five years there their profits have been actually neg- if you see on a cagr yeah. basis is down 3.7% exactly, yeah. over the last five years which is exactly. really not a good sign um and and i think the stock reflects that so just some more context over the last five years their stock is down 4.38% on a cagr rate so it's underperformed big time extremely underperformed and last in the last year while a lot of stocks have you know rallied they've stayed flat and over the last 17 years their cagr has only been 7% which is really really well underneath the index exactly so it's all about competition and again you know uh, the kind of uh, i would say the success in export markets has not been that great yeah and again they have too much into just the commuter biking segment yeah so one one interesting thing to note with hero motor corp uh their ev strategy though seems to be in a much much better place and i'll i'll point out a couple of different things so the first really interesting thing that i found is that they have over 35% stake in ether yeah. which is the number 2 ev producer in the country and they themselves have about a 13% share so if you consolidate it ether and hero they have a 25% market share in the ev segment in india so they at least you know they may not have a good export market they may not have great margins they may not be growing in profitability but they have a decent ev strategy yeah, but varun uh, hero electric and ether are competitors and ether is 64% or 65% externally owned mm-hmm. so while i think value is getting created in ether mm-hmm. i'm not sure that uh, you know it's going to get reflected in uh, higher valuations for hero motor corp on a consolidated basis I don't know who knows or maybe if they acquire it for me I'll disagree with that now yeah. I'll give you a really pertinent example with this so Yahoo which is a famously defunct internet company was propped up by the holding in Alibaba which they made I think in the mid 2000s so even if even if you hold a competitor's stock if if people fundamentally want to own that company and they can't it still becomes a good play for investors who knows but let's see how ether shapes up also Absolutely. as we said again and again that we don't know who the market leader is going to be 
and the EV space could be Ether, could be Ola Electric, and my money is on Ola Electric, frankly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. We'll a, talk about that. We'll, we'll come to Ola Electric because yeah. I have a really long thing I want to talk about Ola Electric. All right. But All right. um, no, but any you know any summation for Hero Motor Corp? You know where do you think they're going in the future? Again, more risk risk factors or more you know opportunities for reward? How do how do we want to view this? More risk factors for Hero Motor Corp. They're in the same boat as. Maybe uh, Bajaj Auto as well to an extent, TVS Motor also. Uh, huge market, huge uh, product volumes, which all these EVs are looking at disrupting big time. So mm -hmm. I would be a bit cautious in Hero yeah. Motor Corp. And what, you know, from time to time, Varun, we may have trading rallies. One good quarter can take the tide up, and you know our views are what we are seeing here are more of a long term in nature. Mm -hmm and not immediately for the traders. Yeah, And it's another thing really worth pointing out is, you know, Hero and Bajaj are both in the same boat, so to speak. You know, they've both- uh, Same league, yes. Same league, yeah. They have relatively similar valuations, you know, they offer relatively similar products. But one thing that I found very interesting, and maybe this is Bajaj's export strategy, they have margins of about 16% on a consolidated basis. Whereas Hero has margins of about eight, eight and a half percent which is a worse position to be in. Uh, to even their closest competitor. So that's another thing I'd like to The reason for that out. is the average selling price. So that's yeah. another trend which we need to highlight for our viewers, that although volumes have remained static declining, the actual revenues have gone up for these companies because of higher average realization prices. So in this country, you now we have this whole premiumization trend. And the two-wheeler companies have noticed this trend and they are having products which are at the higher end mm -hmm. and getting better traction over there. Mm -hmm. So while they have been facing inflationary pressure on raw material prices, overall industries, volumes have not gone up. They've been focusing on premiumization, trying to sell higher and higher better models and get their realizations higher and keep the profitability going. So, you know, this is a really great segue. Uh, and let's talk about, you know, one of the winners of this premiumization trend, a stock that I know you love. Oh, yes. <laughs> Aisha Motors. So I'm just going to let you tell me the story of Aisha Motors for a minute because I know you love, love to tell that story. Um, yeah, I know. See, Aisha Motors is a very interesting story. And uh, it was uh, basically Aisha Motors, uh, a lot of investors like us bought into Aisha Motors 10 years ago because they had a joint venture with Volvo. And the trucks that they produced were superb. And for a while, all of us thought that these trucks would give Tata Motors and Ashok Leland a run for their money. And of course, I think while that joint venture has flourished and has done well, but mind you, the biggest surprise has been Royal Enfield. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a company which they took over. And at that point of time, it was a floundering venture. It had been around for decades, I think, Royal Enfield and Bullet had been, I would say, pre-independence. Pre-independence, uh, yes. yeah. And it, they had their very solid but small community of uh, uh, bikers who love this particular bike. And, uh, you know, the whole thing started uh, that they started to look at this company and this opportunity as far as Bullet was concerned. They beefed up the quality of the product. They increased the, the production uh, volumes and some slick marketing. Uh, and the market also was ripe for them. You know, people were just fed up about the same old commuter bikes. End of the day, when you looked at a Bajaj, a TVS or Hero Motor Cup, there was not much product differentiation. But then this bullet came, uh, you know, with its 350 degrees or 350cc engine sizes and lovely looking bikes, mm -hmm. beautiful colors, and it just appealed to the 
to the consumer who was looking for a premium product. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing to know, right? Like, so your heroes and Bajaj, they were trying to stick at the low end of the price spectrum. And then, you know, above them, you get entry-level four-wheelers. But I think Aisha Motor, Royal Enfield in particular, is the only one that's positioned between the entry-level bike and the entry-level four-wheeler. So anyone who's looking to buy a bike but can't afford a four-wheeler but still wants something nice, I don't think there are very many options other than a Royal Enfield. And See, it's a I good think, option to have. I think Royal Enfield took a lot of uh, inspiration from Harley-Davidson. Mm -hmm. You know, they thought that you know owning a owning a Royal Enfield bike was like you know owning a Harley Davidson bike. It was a statement mm -hmm. that you had arrived. And see, two wheelers are never going to go out of fashion. In fact, there's this thing that every household may have a four wheeler, but they still have a two wheeler mm -hmm. for shorter routes, for whatever you know, convenience as well. And they appeal to the youth in mm -hmm. the typical 25 to 35 year old, and they thought that. Uh, this market required a premium product and they spent a lot of money on marketing. They did so many rallies which went all the way to Himalayas to showcase that how good their product was. And um, on the whole, I think it worked out very well. Uh, this is one company which uh, has amazed me because they have uh, found a market and the kind of growth rates which they got at one point of time, they were selling 10% of, uh, of the industry but their market cap was the highest amongst all put together. Mm -hmm. So it has been a great, great uh, wealth creator mm -hmm. and kudos to the management. And they've kind of tried to build a whole lifestyle around mm -hmm. Bullet by... So what, one thing that I don't think we can ignore in building the biker lifestyle is roadies. That's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> roadies, I think roadies has contributed to the success of Aisha Motors in a, in a disproportionate manner, if anything. That's right. And you know, they had good pricing power best in class net profit margins superb return ratios long waiting list for many many yep. many many years in fact you know i remember at the, at the um, uh, analyst conferences the only thing the analysts were interested is how fast is your capacity increasing boss i mean they went from less than one lakh uh, hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand and we were all clamoring that do more do more you know make because there were huge waiting lists mm -hmm. for their products and mind you see, they have invested a lot in product design. They've invested a lot in quality mm -hmm. and in systems. And their entire product range is very exciting. Uh, not only present, but in the future as well. They've experimented with 650cc also, 350cc. So across the board, when it came to premium bikes, they were the absolute market leader. And Varun, one more thing. It's not that others have not tried, you know. Uh, Bajaj Auto, Hero, they all had joint ventures or did something or the other to try and get into this market, but they could not, uh, you know, take any I think it's that brand, yeah. that brand image, right? If you want to own a premium bike, you want to own a bullet. Absolutely. Nothing else will and do. And the last few, uh, two, three years, they have expanded that distribution phenomenally. Mm -hmm. They've got into studios in the small tier two, tier three towns as well, and that's also driving growth for them. So, I'm, of all the stocks, I think uh, they're going to be least disrupted by EV because it's a leisure bike. And just this whole premiumization trend, I think, should make sure that yeah. their growth rates are higher than the rest of the industry. So let's maybe just give the uh, give the viewers a bit of a profile on on you know Aisha Motors figures. Um, you know, as opposed to Bajaj or Hero that have 
shrunk their overall sales and in, in Hero's case, their profit has fallen over the last five years. Uh, Aisha Motors' revenue has grown at 8.07% over the last five years compounded. And their profits grown at about 5.75%, again, last five years compounded. And uh, I mean, a few interesting sub facts here is although their domestic sales have stayed flat to slightly shrunk at about 1.8%, their exports as well have grown by 36% compounded over the last five years. So they're also benefiting from this export trend. Absolutely. But you know, you go to beyond five years ago, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. last 15 years, they've mm -hmm. been amongst the most outstanding wealth creator. Yeah. So one thing that I, that I really wanted to highlight is over the last 17 years, the stock price has compounded at 35%. Yes. And it's, it's up 15x. Yes. I'm not surprised by that. I mean, I think it's been a fabulous story. And clearly, I think uh, we bought for Volvo, <laughs> but we got Royal Enfield uh, as a bonus. And yeah. that's what has been driving the values for Aisha Motors. Yeah. And I think like you said as well, you know, leisure biking, premium biking is a lot less likely to be disrupted by EVs. Because for leisure bikers, they want the sound, they want the range, they want the power. power yes, they want which, the power. Yeah, which you can't necessarily get with EVs, especially not right now. Absolutely. So I think it's uh, it's been a winner. It may remain to be a winner within the sector mm -hmm. and they have a massive export market which they haven't even scratched. Most analysts have given Aisha Motors a buy recommendation and I, I gather that you concur and you know you agree with that. I have that. a positive view on the stock but as I said I think uh, it's a longer term view. Of course. And there could be volatility in earnings investors need to keep that in mind. Of course. So let's go from one winner to another. TVS Motors, so another you know Japanese auto hybrid, uh, which seems to be a recurring theme of the auto industry. I think you mentioned it was originally TVS Suzuki. It was in Suzuki. In Suzuki, okay. And uh, that also was, a, I would say, it started off on a positive note, but somewhere, somewhere down the line, I think the joint venture didn't work out, and it was not as successful as Hero Honda, and then somewhere Suzuki fell off the grid over there and became TVS Motors. I think it was thought to do with uh, the type of products that Suzuki was bringing into the market and somehow it was not clicking. But thanks to the TVS group, I think this is a very interesting company. And why I say interesting is because this is one company which is so diversified across all the segments in the two-wheeler space. Mm -hmm. They manufacture mopeds, they'll do scooters, they'll do motorcycles and motorcycles they will have high-end, low-end. So their uh, mantra has been to be present in all the segments of the two-wheeler mm -hmm. market and that has protected them from some amount of volatility yeah. in their volumes as well. Yeah. So let's maybe give the viewers a sense of the figures. Their overall unit sales are I think 3.6 million in FY23. Mm -hmm. And again, very interestingly in comparison to Bajaj or in comparison to Hero, over the last five years their revenues have gone up by 13% compounded, 12.29% compounded. And their PAT has also gone up by about 14% compounded. So, you know, as opposed to the Hero or Bajaj, Bajaj. where revenues are staying flat. Or even Aisha for that. Even Aisha, yeah, where revenues are flat, sales are flat, profit is flat. These guys are growing at a, a good clip. And what I gather is that's driven by their diversification across exactly. products. So they've done well in scooters. They've done, their models have been very well received as far as the motorcycles are concerned. And of course, mopeds and three-wheelers have been having a small contribution as well. But very aggressive management. They protect their turf in southern India really well. Mm -hmm. And I would say that uh, I would hand it out to the quality of the management to have you know made this kind of uh, 
position from the, for themselves in such a competitive industry. Yeah. And I think that of all the existing players, maybe they have the best uh, EV strategy yeah. as well. So uh, let's talk about the EV strategy just to give some more context. So their platform is called iCube and it's a partnership with BMW. So their current overall capacity is 600,000 units and they have 11% market share in FY23. So again, strong EV strategy that protects them from disruption. But I wanna ask a little bit more about the management because you know, I think there's a recurring theme on our podcast where quality management translates into quality stocks. So can we, I mean, what makes the TVS group so good? Why are they doing so well? I think TVS group started as a distributor of automobile products and they have a very large uh, presence in auto components as well. And it's a, it's a very focused uh, group uh, with high integrity levels, good focus on, I would say, technology as well, mm-hmm. and uh, very customer-oriented uh, business uh, group, I would say. And I think for TVS Motors, they thought that they had a superb opportunity on their hands uh, to move up the value chain, move away from auto components and other smaller engineering products into a consumer business like mm-hmm. uh, motorcycles. And somehow I think they got very good leadership also within the company, uh, which drove their sales very well. And I think if you ask that one particular question about TVS Motors is the product. The models were like really, I would say they captured the consumer's imagination. If any other company after Aisha Motors, which has really, you know, got that product connect Mm -hmm. with the consumer, I would say it is uh, TVS Motors. And they benefited a lot from the scooter sales last four or five years mm-hmm. doing very well. And you know what an interesting thing Varun about the scooters we must tell is that scooter was a dead uh, uh, product segment maybe 10-15 years ago. And uh, at that time Honda which was uh, which used not make motorcycle because they're the tie up with Hero they launched a superb electric uh, starter type of a scooter. And that really appealed to the women. Yeah. You know why? Because women don't like to put that, uh, you know, that kick and start the Mm two-wheeler. They had an electric uh, ignition system, Honda. They got the first time in India. And the scooter has been a real hit with the the women. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has in a way made them independent because they're not relying on public transport or anybody else to drive yeah. them around. So I think, uh, I don't know which which uh, which company makes this, but the Scooty brand that was really well positioned towards women. I remember the ads were on TV all the time right. and they just advertised women that were able to get freedom through their Scooty and zip through traffic, get their stuff done. And uh, I think that's where that, you know, they were able to, able to capture the imagination of the consumer. So therefore, TVS is the second largest scooter uh, company after mm-hmm. Honda. Mm-hmm. And with, I think, about 23-24% market share. Honda, of course, has a, a astounding market share uh, in uh, the scooters at 50%. TVS mm-hmm. comes at 21% or so. So it was Bajaj Auto, which was all about scooters. They vacated that market. Everything went to motorcycles. Then Honda came and said that there is a there is a play as far as scooters are concerned. They focused on the uh, on the on the uh, you know the, the female uh, consumers consumers, and that really I think uh, created a superb niche. Mm-hmm. And kudos to them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very very interesting. Uh, you know, I always find those interesting stories to tell in the automobile industry because really what they do is they tell the story of India's aspirations. Absolutely, and uh, I think scooter has been an aspirational product for. Uh, a lot of the uh, you know, lady consumers 
and provided them a lot of independence. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's maybe talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, Absolutely, the electric vehicle. Electric company. vehicles, right? Um, yeah. So just some some context. Um, I think most Bain, Bain, I believe, uh, has pegged the EV market for two wheelers at one trillion dollars by 2030. And by 2030, 40 to 50 percent of all two wheelers sold are projected to be EVs. So that's 12 million units. Now. Um, the question is, where is that supply going to come from? And uh, you know, just to maybe give a give a sense of the snapshot of what the industry looks like, Ola Electric has a 21% market share, or had a 21% market share in FY23. Um, TVS had 11%, Aether at 12%, Bajaj at only 4%, and Hero at a strong 13%. Yeah, there's one more company here, which is Ampere. Which Ampere, is correct. Reef yes. Cotton, yeah. Yes. They also have 11% market share or so. Right. So I think that there are many players and uh, naturally I think when you are getting disruption it's going to attract a lot of uh, private equity, it's going to mm -hmm. attract a lot of entrepreneurs getting into the space and I completely agree with Bain, maybe they'll hit that 30% of the uh, total volume far before 2030, I think 40%. 40, 40 to 50% yeah. by 2030. I think they'll do it much before that. Okay. And um, all of these new generation uh, EV companies, they're investing very heavily into capacity, mm -hmm. into product design. And they have also kind of, you know, appeal to the ecologically conscious mm -hmm. uh, consumer. And the ease of operation, low cost, many instances you can take the battery out and recharge yeah. it at home and put so, it back in. Few few interesting facts is first is the cost of operating an EV now is forty percent underneath the cost of operating an IC through its life. Exactly. So. And the other really interesting thing is that most two wheelers are bought by the youth, you know, from twenty to thirty five, and that set of consumers is much more ecologically sensitive than the rest of you know the age set. So I think EVs are obviously what the country is demanding, and it seems like there's a lot of investment in that capacity. So Ola Electric, just to tell you, they raised $200 million um, to expand their capacity to up to 10 million units a year, and they're now valued at $5 billion. Wow. <laughs> so, and see, that's the problem, you know, Varun, for the existing players. The existing players had pricing discipline, they had product discipline, and therefore they could have these kind of profits within the industry. Now come Ola Electric, which is just <coughs> focusing on disrupting the industry at any cost. I mean, we talk all about their revenues and their targets, but no, no focus on profitability. Yeah. So all the private equity money is getting into Ola Electric and they're going to just push the product as much as they can mm -hmm. without having a very uh, you know keen eye on the profitability as yet. It's unlisted company. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the biggest threat for the two-wheeler company. You know, when you're competing against a company which is not focused on the bottom line, yeah, then their their tactics, their strategy will be such that if you try and follow them, then it's going to bleed your balance sheet and profitability. Yeah, so that's the real issue of two-wheeler companies. If you ask me, why am I as a as a Bajaj Auto shareholder, TVS, or as a Hero Motor Corp, I'm concerned that I'm competing against someone. Mm -hmm. who has got no focus on profitability as yet. Yeah. So if I have to try and match him, then I have to sacrifice my profits. Yeah. And that's all. That's a dangerous game to get exactly. into. Exactly. Exactly. So that's something which investors need to be very cautious. 
when investing in two-wheeler companies. That will happen in four-wheelers as well, but that's still further around the future. Mm -hmm. But the two-wheeler disruption is right happening. Where you said 10 million, mm -hmm. 10, I mean, we are selling 20 million, right? Yeah. So, so they're setting out 50% capacity yeah. ready to put up. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously, I don't think this is just an India play. I think they're obviously setting this capacity up to try and target the export market as well, right? Uh, sort of replicating the strategy of two-wheeler companies in the last decade or so. So uh, very, very interesting. But unfortunately, retail investors can't participate. Then it's good because, you know, then you look and look at uh, profitability and losses and these new platform companies really haven't delivered value once they got listed so i think let it be <laughs> let it be unlisted for some more time mm -hmm. and uh, let them show how they can turn towards profitability and then we'll see but you know one most important thing about two evs is the profit margins are not that great mm -hmm. because still i think the biggest cost is the battery mm -hmm. and you're not going to manufacture the battery yourself from basic material you're still mm -hmm. importing it or assembling it so i'll i'll actually tell you a little story uh, because this is this is a company that i absolutely love another player in the unlisted space it's called log9 and they they're about 3 to 4 years old they started out by selling in covid they were selling like uh, you know those sterilization machines uh, because they had a material science laboratory and they were able to do a bunch of interesting stuff they are the first and only battery cell manufacturer based in India, which means they, they manufacture the anode, which is made out of graphite, and the cathode, which is where all the value lies. And I think it's a lithium nickel cobalt. cobalt yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's the cathode that they're manufacturing. But the first and only battery cell manufacturer in India at scale. We need many more, I we think. We need many, many more. I think they will come also because uh, you know, there's a lot of interest and scope within the sector. And transportation somehow captures the imagination of investors and entrepreneurs as well. It's very, I would say, a consumer-focused business which people want to be in. So I think the, the roadmap and the prospects for EVs is fantastic from a consumer viewpoint. But from a stock market perspective, it is a big threat. Yeah. And even I think existing players also, there are existing EV players. Like if you ask me, would you invest in an EV company unlisted mm. or listed? I'd still think twice. Yeah. Because again, they're not stable in terms of their market share. And I think product design plays a very important role. And to an extent, I think the technology also uh, is improving. And somehow if, you, if you're not in line with the technology, in line with you know how many kilometers your two-wheeler can give, mm -hmm. you may suddenly tend to lose market share. Right. Like Ola Electric is promising, say, 200 kilometers. Mm -hmm. And somehow there's some change in technology and Hero Motor Cup says mine can do 300 kilometers. Right. Suddenly you will see a change in the market share. Yeah. And from an investor's perspective, no, that's a big risk factor. Disruption is something which never really makes so much of value in the initial phases. Right. Unless you're the winner. Yeah, unless you're the winner. And you get it right, but it's, you know, uh, I would say more of chance than analysis. Well... So an interesting takeaway. Um, anything else you'd like to leave our viewers with? You know, anyone that's holding two-wheeler stocks, anyone that's thinking of buying two-wheeler stocks, how should an investor approach this space? See, I think, uh, as I said, I think uh, that the discussion <coughs> is live and present for the uh, large players in the commuter segment, uh, but not so much in the leisure biking, which we already discussed. And on the whole, I would be more uh, optimistic for the four-wheelers and even the commercial vehicle players within the auto industry. So look, you know, in a portfolio approach, you're looking at investing maybe 10% of your portfolio, 10-15% into auto. I would allocate it more towards the four-wheelers. Tractor companies also will do 
commercial mm-hmm. vehicle do but two wheelers apart from Aisha I think I'd be very very cautious having said that Varun I think you discussed existing companies and I have given my views on them they're not recommendations and I think uh, viewers should do their own due diligence before they of buy course. their stock and we and our clients may be invested in them as well all right. Well, um, I think on that interesting note, uh, let's uh, let's maybe leave the viewers something to think about where they want to allocate the money that they're allocating to automobile stocks, whether they want to be invested in iShare or a so four-wheeler space or CV space or tractor space. And um, hopefully there's really something interesting to take away. So I think on that note, let's, uh, let's maybe wrap up and uh, leave our viewers with the thought that, you know, if you want to allocate 10 to 15% of your portfolio to automobile stocks, uh, apart from Aisha Motors, it's maybe best to consider four-wheelers that we've covered previously or CVs or tractors, which, uh, which we will be talking about soon. And uh, maybe stay away from some of the riskier bets in the two-wheeler space. Hope we leave you with some interesting thoughts and ideas. And we'll be back next week discussing something new.